Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. On me. Last week we uh, we were working through Romans chapter twelve, this wonderful, wonderful chapter, uh, all about presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, and this list of precepts that Paul admonishes us to make a a part of our lives, part of our daily actions, our our attitudes, our philosophies, priorities. And we got through a part of chapter, not chapter, verse 10 of chapter 12, where we talked about loving one another. And so we do. And then, but the, 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 other part of that verse, the other half of verse 10 is take the lead in honoring one another. I like that. Take the lead in putting others first. That is servant leadership. That's something we all should do. Servant leadership uh, about 10 years ago, Maybe a little bit uh, uh, earlier, uh, there was this big fad in business on servant leadership. John Maxwell, of course, put his books out. In, you know, his books out regarding that subject, um, and it was good because it really is biblical leadership. But in this case. Everybody, we're all leaders. We all influence each other in some way or another. That's what leadership is. It's taking the lead in something and influencing the other, encouraging others in that direction. And and here we're, we're encouraged to take the lead in putting others first, lifting them up, encouraging them. I. Making it a point to to let each other know how much we appreciate them. We do that, don't we? And Tim and Missy makes a good meal. We express our appreciation for that food. Thank you. And we express my appreciation. I hope you do too. And the work Cody does with our church finances and the reports and 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 all that. He does all that for us. We all take a part in our church and and and, and help out. Whether uh, and and so we express our appreciation for each other. That's what Paul admonishes us to do here. In verse eleven, do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Well, there's a lot right there. That word lack. Don't lack diligence. That word lack. Um, is more than just not have. It's a. Uh, it's to be slow in, to hesitate with, to be lazy. Lazy in our diligence. Lazy in our zeal for God. Lazy Christianity is a popular form of Christianity, where we just go through the motions and there's no sacrifice of time or money. 
No effort, no putting yourself out. There's no inward change, no change in your life at all. You still uh, may be dishonest. You've gone through the motions of giving your heart to Christ. There's no inward change. and still be still dishonest or still selfish, maybe even prideful. And, 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 and you practice a lifestyle of sin. There's no effort in changing. You always make excuses. It's somebody else's fault. I'd come to church more, Pastor, if I wasn't so busy. And I'd give more, Pastor, if I didn't already have so many other expenses. What's lazy Christianity? It's a false form of Christianity. And Paul admonishes us to, to not lack diligence. Don't be lazy about this. Diligence is, is consistency. Consistency and zeal. Always being earnest must constantly, we must constantly remind ourselves of why we are believers. It's enthusiasm. And you know what? We as humans have a tendency to lose our enthusiasm. The novel becomes the mundane. If we're not careful, if we're not minding, it's like really like minding a garden, isn't it? We can grow this new beautiful plant, and we're so excited. It's a, it's a wonderful plant, and I, I, I planted some rose bushes, and it's fun, and I'm enjoying it. And I, But if I treated it like some people treat the Christian life, after a while, I, I get bored. And I, I forget about it. Maybe oh, it's what I've done with bonsais. I'm a bonsai serial killer. And when I buy a new bonsai, it's, it's, and I don't anymore, by the way. I'm trying to, to be better for society. Uh, but when I bought a bonsai, it was so exciting. I, I'm fascinated with these tiny trees. And, and, I, um, and I enjoy it, and it brings me joy to look at it. And I, and, but after I have it for a while, the, the novel becomes the mundane. And then I forget about it. And maybe I don't water like I'm supposed to or feed it like I'm supposed to or give it the care. And then a few, several weeks later, I go, oh, yeah, I have a bonsai I need to look in on. And it's dead. So, so we have to be careful. Paul's encouraging it because we have to be careful. We, in fact, it was, um, I, I think, in, in Imitation of Christ, I'm reading that right now. Thomas Kempis. And, and in it, he talks about how, you know, no matter how long you've walked with God, there, there is a risk of growing cold and going away from God. And, and you don't get to a point where you're safe from that until you die. We have to mind the garden. Mind the garden of our heart. And every morning, just get up and, and give praise to God and remind ourselves of why we're here, what we're doing. What, why am I here today? 
doing here? What's my purpose? What does God want me to do? Remind ourselves of what God's done for me. Remind uh, all the things that, that we're grateful for in our lives. Eight minutes in, I'm not even past the second verse, and I was concerned about the sermon being too short. Be fervent in the spirit. Oh, do not lack diligence and zeal. We talked about that. Be fervent in the spirit. Fervency is this passion, passionate about God. People are passionate about a lot of things. People are passionate about sports. Tell you, uh, the uh, the wide receiver for the uh, Super Bowl winners from 1986, who went on to win whatever trophy and, and scored this many runs and this many yards and points and all that. They can tell you all that. They can memorize this stuff, and they and they have all their gear and they and they uh, and they watch every game and. They're passionate about it. Those who are passionate about, men are passionate about hunting. They buy all this gear. And, and, and spray themselves with deer urine and, and go sit outside in the freezing cold. Why? Because they're passionate about hunting. Men are passionate about cars, and I could go on. Do we have reason to be passionate about God? Remember, I, uh, last week I mentioned as I'm going through these precepts, I'd like you to do a mental. Uh, inventory, just kind of where do I stand in each of these precepts? How do I line up with them? With this, I think I'll just leave with the question. Do we have a reason to be passionate about God? Then he says in the last clause in verse 11, serve the Lord. In all that I do, who uh, are my actions serving? Everything I do in my life, whom, who is receiving the benefit and glory of my actions? Is it always the Lord? We use the term Lord so, so commonly. People use it profanely just commonplace but in this context the Lord is meant as the supreme authority and we're supposed to serve God as the supreme authority and so then I ask is God, is God 
the supreme authority in your life. Well, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Hope, patience, and persistence. We can often focus too much on the negative and end up discouraged. Maybe that's just me. How often do we focus on that which brings us hope? I was reminded of Jeremiah chapter 29. For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You know, God has plans for us, for our benefit. Does that give you hope? What about 1 Peter? Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Thanks to God, we have a new birth and a hope based on Christ's resurrection. Hope that we will be resurrected or hope to life eternal, an expectation for an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading that's currently being kept in heaven for us name on it. Does that bring you hope? We're not only to rejoice in that and rejoice in the hope we have, we're to be patient in affliction. How hard is it is to be patient when things go wrong? It can be hard. I just talked about the hope we have, the expectation we have in Christ, the, the expected end we have, right? That God has a plan for us, has for an expected end. I was I've been reading um 
I think it was called, uh, as a Greek tragedy, uh, the house of Atreus, I think it was called. And in it, in, in it, uh, it said, I, I, I noticed this morning it said, foreknowledge is for sorrow. F-O-R-E, sorrow. Foreknowledge is for sorrow. And I thought, well, only if you're in a Greek tragedy. Because our life isn't going to be a Greek tragedy. I was also thinking, um, I like to read all kinds of books, nonfiction and fiction and westerns and and sometimes a fantasy when I can find something decent and I love a good detective story when I can find something decent. But I don't think I've ever, as I began to read a book, read the end of the book and then started reading. I'm reading some fiction, some adventure story. Why? Because that ruined the book, right? It would remove all the tension when you know what's going to happen at the end. You know the hero and the heroine are going to be okay. So as they're going through, as you're reading about the harrowing situations they're dealing with, the uh, the, the terrible things that are happening. There's no excitement, there's no tension whatsoever because you know how the story ends. But we in our life, we know how the story ends. Yet when we're going through tribulation, it's easy to act like we don't. And we worry and wonder and dread and become discouraged and lose patience, and give up, and and call it quits. The hope we have allows us to be patient in affliction. And it's all based on that last clause in verse 12, be persistent in prayer. Prayer every day. That prayer should be a lifestyle. It should be a moment-by-moment moment thing. It should be when you wake up and when you go to bed. It, 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 this, this communion with God. And there's no prescription. There's no, you need to pray for this long at this time and do exactly this. It, God left that up to us to figure out. I think the reason why it's different for every person. And maybe also different for different times of life. But we're to be persistent with it. I encourage you to be persistent with it. You know why? Because there's another force in our lives that pushes us to not be persistent with it. It takes an effort. 
And the devil knows how powerful our prayers are and the influence they have in, in, in the actions of God. And, and so he's going to try to discourage us from that. Plus our just natural inclination to take it easy. So we're encouraged to be persistent. Don't give up. Keep at it every day. Ask God to help you re-energize that enthusiasm, that zeal that we talked about. Persistence in prayer. People, so many people struggle. So many Christians I've talked to struggled. And, and it, it dumbfounds me when I find out they haven't spent any time in prayer. I don't get that. It's like being in the military in a combat zone and, and, and running out of ammo and complaining about it. We're almost out of ammo. The enemy is going to overrun us. And somebody asked, well, did you call on the radio and tell me you needed more ammo? Well, no. The lieutenant that would do that would be forever memorialized as an idiot. in our own lives, in the spiritual war that we're in. Verse 13, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. So then we have this this effort to, to help those in need, and that's what we do. It's an important part of our church is helping each other first and then extending into the community as God gives us opportunities to do so, right? It's still uh, uh, years ago when we had a food pantry here. We had an elderly woman who needed food, and so she was... She couldn't drive herself. She was driven by another lady, a middle-aged woman. And, and when they got here, I recognized the middle-aged woman. I knew, we, we, I can't remember how I had known her, but it was something to do with the community. Uh, maybe Meals on Wheels or something else. But she knew me, I knew her, and I knew she went to church. And so I was talking to them for a bit, and, and I found out this elderly woman went to the same church as this middle-aged woman. And I, I asked, I said, I'm not being critical, I'm just curious, why didn't your church help this lady? And the response was, well, we don't have a food pantry. They're, they're missing this. The people who are, are parishioners of the church are, are, are completely just disconnected with this truth in God's word that we are to help each other. And just figured, well, since we don't have an official program, 
then there's no means for us to help her, nor there is an obligation for us to help her. And there is, by the way, because the Bible says it. See, all she needed to do was get on the phone, get the church directory out, start making phone calls, telling people, this Sunday I want you to bring some canned food items. And I guarantee you that Sunday that elder woman would have had more food than she knew what to do with. We're also pursue hospitality. So sharing the saints and their needs, and then he extends that. Hospitality has to do with loving strangers. We don't know. They're in need. So we do that. We're we're careful how we go about doing that, right? But we 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 wherever opportunity God affords, we help those in need. And I believe it's an important part of our church, an important part of why we're here. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Never be mean to somebody, even if they are to you. And it tells us actively engage. That requires something from us. We're to actively engage in kindness towards those who are only nice to us, no. Those who persecute us. Those who make fun of us. Those who tell lies about us. Those who gossip about us. Those who give us a hard time. Those that slow roll I request with the government. All these people, we are to actively engage in kindness towards them. And we're not to curse them at all, but to bless them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. What's that talking about? That's empathy. Being outside your own self and, and, and being uh, looking at others and, and really understanding what's going on in their lives and caring about it and being touched by that and participating with them. Weep with those who weep. Sometimes that's, that's the best thing for somebody. Just showing that empathy. Uh, somebody uh, it loses a special loved one, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a child, people will often say the dumbest things in an effort to be an encouragement and a blessing to the person when all they really need to do is say, I'm here for you, and just sit down and shut up. Job's friends, even though they, they were way off base and they're trying to, in their well-intentioned trying to help, what they do when he when when they came to him? He lost all his kids, all his possessions. He's covered in boils. Life is just rotten, right? They just sat there for a week before and waited for him to be ready to talk. I don't know of any modern person who would have that kind of patience. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. 
be willing to accommodate the compromise, right? And that's what we do. We work with each other. So many conflicts I've seen in churches are, is you have one or more people who are insistent on getting their own way. And that's not Christ-like. So do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Don't be the person who says, I've got it all figured out. You should be listening to me. I never want to be in that position. I've been admonished by Tim. I've been admonished by Cody. And definitely, yes, admonished by my wife as well. And others. And I appreciate that. I appreciate they cared enough to speak up. Because I don't have all the answers. I am not all wise and all knowing. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Vengeance is God's domain and we'll see more of that. He kind of goes back to that in a few verses. Uh, verse, so we'll skip that for now. Uh, give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Think before you act. A lot of people should hit the pause button on social media posts or, or reacting at work or at home with the family. Just giving it a thought before they say or do something they end up regretting. Verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I like that he says, if possible. Realistic. We know that that's not always going to be the case because the world hates us. And some people, no matter what you do, they will never be happy. So, if possible. As far as it depends on you, whatever you can do, live in peace. And we do. Verse 19, friends, do not avenge yourselves. We're getting back to that vengeance again. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. And maybe you're thinking, good! That's not, not saying that you're hurting him. We're talking about the symbolism of purification. Very similar to when Isaiah was before God and said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. What happened? The angel came forth with the coal and placed it on his lips and purified his lips. And this is this is us 
Responding with love to those who hate us serves as a purifying agent on that person. By people who've gotten mad at me when I am in the wrong, I apologize. I take full responsibility and I apologize and endeavor to make it right. If I'm not wrong, I offer support. Like time where I, I was at an airport in Dallas, never been there before, saw this uh, security guard. I was a little lost in which direction I should go, so I asked the security guard which direction I should be going, and he uh, gave me an answer in, in a very flippant manner. Very perturbed. And so I looked at him and I said, You doing all right, man? And he looked at me, and he just let it all out, everything going on. And so I chatted with him, and I told him I'd pray for him. Never saw him again. And that's one of several. I think that's, and I had others who were just mad, and, and I responded with love, and then they would, and, and, and they would, some apologize to me for, for, for blowing up and talk about what's going on. Because anger is a secondary emotion, by the way. I think I've seen this work itself out in real life where you respond with love to somebody who's hateful. doesn't always happen that way, but I've seen it. Or they, it makes them rethink their actions and, and make better decisions. And then finally, in verse 21, we'll wrap up today. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. We're not to be conquered by evil. It happens all the time. Right now, you have Christians who are capitulating. They're just giving up. They're giving in. They're letting go of the standards. Yeah, whatever you want. Christians who are becoming vengeful. Trying to get even. And Christians who are bitter. Holding bitter attitudes and feelings towards those, their enemies, who have hurt them in the past. And they just can't forgive. They can't let go. That's being conquered by evil. We're to conquer evil with good. We're to hold fast. We're to be loving and kind and peaceful, but not capitulate, not give in. Hold fast to what's true in the Bible. We do so in a loving manner and forgiving, forgiving our enemies. That's how we conquer evil with good. The many stories of people who have given their very lives willingly without one word of evil towards those who are taking their lives. 
And the result of that ended up being the salvation of generations of those who, who perpetuated that evil. Conquering evil with good. May the Lord help us to do just that. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. I hope it was a blessing to you. I do have one more thing to add. Uh, I have recently published a book entitled Stop Poisoning Yourself, Finding Joy in All Circumstances. Few of us realize the impact uh, our thoughts have on our daily lives, how it impacts our emotions, our relationships, including our relationship with God. Uh, in this book, I, I go through this very short, easy to read book. I go through what the Bible says about it, how and what we can do uh, to eliminate poisonous thoughts in our lives. So, to, if you're interested, go check it out on uh, Amazon Kindle's website. You'll find it there. Just search for Stop Poisoning Yourself by Daryl Underwood. Enjoy your week. Have a wonderful day.